0: the lady of the house at home.
1: You're listening to CGSW 90.9 FM broadcasting out of Calgary, Alberta at the University of Calgary campus radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. You're listening to Yeah What She Said on CGSW 90.9 FM and my name is Georgia Jones. I'm your host for this month's episode of Yeah What She Said. This episode of Yeah, What She Said, we are putting on our critical thinking water wings and venturing into the murky waters of popular culture. Okay, this is a really awkward description. We're going to talk about popular culture, what it means to us individually, why it matters, and in particular, with a focus on. The discussions that have come out of a very recent announcement that... Well, actually, it's probably not going to be a very recent announcement by the time you're listening to this, but it's recent to me now announcement that um, the actress Halle Bailey has been cast as Ariel in the Little Mermaid live action remake. And this sparked huge uproar online and I'm sure around water coolers and spawned the hashtag Not My Ariel. So I wanted to chat with some folks in the know about popular culture, about this. And first of all, we're going to be talking, or I'm going to be talking with Cheryl Thompson. Now, Dr. Cheryl Thompson is a professor at Ryerson University. I'm going to let her introduce herself in more detail. And we talk in this episode about why popular culture matters, why popular culture has mattered to her. And then we're going to get into talking a little bit more about representation in movies and in particular, this casting decision for The Little Mermaid. And of course, I could not talk about this without getting Adora to come into the studio and chat with me. Adora has been very vocal about this um, online. And it's very, I think, very brave and very important that people take up these conversations because... Quite frankly, they can be very difficult and very upsetting. And Adora is, as always, fearless, or she's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And so I wanted her to come in and chat with me a little bit about this as well. So you're going to hear from her towards the end of the episode. But I will just say that popular culture has been so important in my life. I grew up in Ireland. I grew up in kind of I guess you could say came of age in the in the kind of late 80s. Um pop culture was for me as it is for many teens a kind of an escape from your life, it was a window into other worlds, into other possibilities. It made me think about creativity in different ways, different ways of expressing myself. And it still remains to this day something that's very very important in my life. So as a, as a just as a person, as a human walking around the place, but also as someone who's, I, I describe myself as a recovering academic, um, popular culture has got a very, very special place in my heart. It, it kind of upsets me when I hear people say, well, this is not important. We have so many other things going on in the world. This is not important. It's not an either or decision in my mind, folks. I think it's, we can talk about popular culture critically and recognize its significance and we can also focus our energies on things like climate change and gun violence and politics and these other things. But to say that popular culture doesn't matter, that it's not part of that bigger picture, is I think taking a very narrow perspective. Anyhow, um, I'm going to move on with the episode and I hope you enjoy it.
0: Dr. Cheryl Thompson. I'm an assistant professor at Ryerson University in the School of Creative Industries. Uh, I have a PhD in communication studies from McGill University. And so in my, my sort of uh, growth as a scholar, I, I sort of started off thinking that I was just studying the media, um, media and the intersection of like media, critical race, gender, sexuality. But then when I started to go into archives, That kind of all changed the entire game. And, you know, going into my PhD, I had an interest in black hair. So I thought I was going to be doing a project that was just about black hair. But again, once I went into the archives, it ended up being a a, a wider scope where I was really interested at the intersections between uh, sort of how black women and or black bodies appear in the media. And for me, media is newspapers, newspapers. television film and also the visuals, so especially photography and sort of looking how we appear but then also how we're talked about so the project ended up really being about being a media study of more than just a hair study
1: where do you do you talk about the so you say you situate your work in terms of media being a study of media um Mm -hmm. do you ever talk about the work you do as being a study of popular culture as well
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, what I always say is that the blackface minstrelsy, like that's the long term, blackface minstrelsy, is the first uh, popular culture of North America. So for me... (laughs) everything goes back to The Minstrel Show. So I see that in every aspect of popular culture, whether it's music, whether it's TV, whether it's advertising or just fandom, there's always aspects that relate to the origins of North American popular culture, which really begin in the 19th century.
1: How powerful has popular culture been in your life and and what are the ways in which some representations in popular culture have, have mattered to you?
0: Well, I mean, you know, I came of age in the 1980s and 90s, and that was the era of the music video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for me, my entry into pop culture was through music. So I just remember all those videos. Like, I would come up from school, and I, I would literally just watch videos for <laughs> hours and hours on, on much music. And, you know, the U.S. comparative is MTV. I mean, there's a whole generation. Like, that's how they 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 sort of fell in love with music. It wasn't through listening to records as like people 10 years before might have done. So for me, that just left such a indelible mark on, you know, even today I, you know, you think about how much music has culture has changed today, but at the same time, even though people are not watching a much music for videos, artists still release a video on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So there's still a visual component to how we engage with musical artists. And that has never gone away, right? And, and I think even more so, and even some of the videos that they're producing now, like these are really stylistic, um, expensive videos, and they're going onto a public site, basically, right? They're going onto a free site. So I just think one of the things that, that have always stuck with me is just how much popular culture can't exist without visual culture. Like, you can't just be a singer. Like, you have to have the look, a look, that you then keep changing. I always think of Katy Perry, who's mm-hmm. gone through so many metamorphoses in such a short time, right? Like, And that is that really is going back to, to the 80s, and, and sort of how everything became this hyper-visual, um, the hyper-visual of popular culture just really took off in the 80s. So much so that sometimes you don't even care if the person can sing. Mm -hmm. And and we know who those people are. Um, You just want them to look a certain way.
1: You're listening to Yeah What She Said on CGSW 90.9 FM. I'm your host, Georgia Jones. And on this month's episode of Yeah What She Said, we're talking about gender, race, and representation in popular culture. And you're listening to an interview with Dr. Cheryl Thompson from Ryerson University. I want to talk about The, the Little Mermaid with you. And mm-hmm. do you think, how how has that movie culture shifted? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think, you know, in some ways it hasn't, in some ways it hasn't, right? I think the hashtag, you know, Hollywood so white moment that happened several years ago, that that did something for sure. Like, I think that kind of shifted or at least added a consciousness to the fact that why is Hollywood so white, (laughs) like, compared to television? You know, Mm -hmm. like, television has always, this is the irony of television, there has always been um, diverse representation on television. We've just had an issue with what the representation was, right? So there were always black people on TV, always women on TV, but they just weren't playing roles that were very um, representative of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas film has not been like that. You know, historically, you know, I think the hashtag so white moment, a Hollywood so white moment came after an Oscar season where every one of the winners and almost everybody who went on stage was white. It was like like a whiteout completely, which was really shocking for the 21st century, right? So I think Hollywood has made a concerted effort to say, okay, we need to shift something because our audiences are obviously diverse and people are noticing Mm -hmm. that our movies are not right. So there's that aspect. But then on the flip side to it, on the qualitative level, if you look at the characters that are still appearing in film, like. I would still say probably 90% of films, the protagonists are still white and male. Uh, I would say white. And then maybe if you break that number down, white women are still predominantly the lead in movies, even if it's like a female-centered movie. So there is still, the on the quality of the characters, I wouldn't say it. there's been this like, huge huge shift right where you're going to see a movie where Julia Roberts is is the the supporting actress to Viola Davis who's
1: lead (laughs) or Julia Roberts is the the quirky best friend (laughs) yeah exactly
0: (laughs) to Viola Davis who's like running it and having all these having like and also the romantic lead and all that the angle of vision like I just don't think we're there yet right like there's still this this hierarchy in Hollywood of who is going to play the lead, and not just the lead, but also the, the 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 angle for which the movie is going to be shot. So, whose point of view are we seeing the story mm-hmm. told from? I think you know that was one of the major criticisms of of uh, Green Book, even though it's based on a true story. It's like that entire movie was told from a white point of view,
1: right? Like, who are we encouraged to identify with as a as exactly, an and
0: also identify with but then also kind of you know it's one of the one of the biggest issues in in Hollywood has always been you you identify with the white characters but then you also have a diversity of who they are mm. So even the villain, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. even if the villain is white, you're, you, you can understand where that villain is coming from because you maybe have seen, right, they've showed you a complexity. Whereas when black characters are, or even Latino characters, Asian characters, South Asian characters, they're just static characters. Like you don't really know anything about them. You can't place them in any context. I always say the Indian guy in the movie has no family. <laughs> and if you know real Indian people, they tend to have a lot of family, right? So why is it when they're in the movies? They're just like the one Indian guy at the office who doesn't even have a sister or a brother. So, so that in itself is is just not reflecting life, and I think that's where Hollywood is still far behind. You're listening to Yeah What She Said
1: on CGSW 90.9 FM. But the, the Disney princess movies to kind of lump them into to one category looking at that array of film they seem to be a very powerful group and they seem to, it seems to be a very powerful presence in the life of especially young girls why do you think it is significant that they have selected Halle Bailey a young black woman to play Ariel in the upcoming live action version of the little mermaid
0: well i mean i think it's it parallels the move of casting um, I can't remember her name now, but casting a black woman to play one of the blonde, um, one of the Bond women in the new James Bond movie that's coming out. Right? It parallels this idea of shifting who the idealized um, beautiful woman is, or like the beauty, like mm-hmm. just shifting the, that beauty vision, right? And I think it is significant because as someone who's written a book about beauty culture industry the beauty culture industry still is very white. And so that's the adult version of the princess um, cartoons Mm -hmm. and doll culture, Mm -hmm. right? So doll culture and the princess movies, they kind of go hand in hand because even over the last mm, few years, Mattel and various other doll makers have been trying to create more diverse dolls. Mm -hmm. So have a black doll and all this. And, you know, I'm one of those people where my parents, I, I am obviously black. <laughs> I don't say obviously because you can't see me, but, but you can infer that I am black. And my parents were absolutely unequivocally no to me ever getting a doll. So I never had a doll as a kid. And they, they, I don't want to say they put a ban on Disney movies, but they just didn't really encourage us to go and watch them. So we were kind of told those aren't for you mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I never grew up with that sort of that psyche mm-hmm. of oh my god there's a new Disney movie I, I have to watch it. And I say that because one of the ways in which you know children's marketing works is that it's called there's a principle called cradle to grave. So they want to keep you attached to the brand, cradle to grave. And the way that they do that is that each generation, they keep bringing back something that you would have experienced as a child. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the perfect example. It first came out when I was a kid. They did the remake just a few years ago. And that would have captured that entire generation of who are my age now that have children who are about the same age as when I saw it the first Mm -hmm. time. So a lot of these, like, so Disney kind of plays on that too. So they try to bring something back that maybe you would have remembered as a kid, but then they want to bring it back to target this new generation of children who are being um, sort of socialized to see, not to see diversity as a, as an issue, but to see it as like a, a quote unquote, a natural part of life. Mm-hmm. So in bringing something back and then modernizing the character so that she's played by a black woman, that basically captures both of those market segments, right? The parent and the child can both see this and feel like they're getting something new out of it, even though for the parent, they would have seen it as a kid.
1: You are listening to Dr. Cheryl Thompson from Ryerson University talking about gender, race, and popular culture on Yeah What She Said, here on CJSW 90.9 FM.
0: And so yeah. when people have all this backlash against yeah. them, you almost want to say, don't you understand this is a business? Yes, yes. <laughs> like they're thinking business. They're not thinking about your own personal feelings. Yes. You know, and, and so I think that's the discussion that people really need to focus on. That, that you know, and, and this is, you know, it's interesting because with the election, Ramping up in the U.S., there was one debate where somebody made a really good point. It, you know, the truth is, is that corporate America, same as corporate Canada, they don't have any issue with diversity mm-hmm. because they recognize that it's a business decision. Governments seem to still have some issue mm-hmm. with diversity for whatever reason. But on the corporate side, if something is done, or if there's a, uh, you know, if somebody has a backlash, for example, against a major Hollywood movie, things happen. There's a response to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about a few years ago, there was a another movie that was told about ancient Egypt that was like white men playing Africans, basically. Mm-hmm. And there was a major backlash against that. Now, does it mean that that studio won't make that movie again? No, but it means that if there's another one of these iterations telling the story about ancient Egypt, I would bet you in the next one is really going to be very different from that one because of the pressure that the public can now put on to demand that we that we have representation in, in, in movies, just like on television. So back to the, you know, the, the casting for the new um, Ariel, I mean, I think, I personally think it's great. <laughs> like, I don't have an issue with it. I just also think, you know, it says a lot about where we are in the 21st century that these moments are still these huge moments.
1: You, yeah and that there is that kind of response, i guess to those right to those decisions. like you think we're so ahead of everything and
0: yeah. we're beyond all the the civil rights and all these things, and yet something that is really just in the symbolic realm mm-hmm. right, like a real like you know a real princess isn't being usurped for a black woman, it's a cartoon princess,
1: an imaginary yet, character,
0: right. <laughs> There is, like, this major, like, oh, my goodness, the world, what is happening in the world? So that tells you a lot about how we really aren't as far ahead in terms of racial relations as we like to think that we are.
1: Do you think it is uplifting for for young girls, particularly young girls of color, to see girls that look like them or young women that look like them in powerful popular culture roles like Disney princess roles?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's always,
1: you know, it's always important to see yourself in
0: the visual landscape. That's just my own personal opinion. I think, you know, there there was an argument of, is it better to be represented, and even though the representation is negative, mm-hmm. or to be invisible? And, you know, that's difficult, because there are some people who would say, you know, the problem that they have with these contemporary representations is that it's still kind of... An image of the black body that doesn't really reflect um, maybe the vast majority of black girls, and mm-hmm. black women, right? So it's like this stylized version versus, you know, if the depiction was, say, um, of a black woman that maybe in the community, so the in group would say, yes, that is what black girls look like, you know, would that be better than having this? version that maybe isn't a version that, that Black women would celebrate. For example, often when they, when they do create a Black character, you know, she's very light-skinned, she might have a Eurocentric kind of nose, long, flowing hair. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it's like this, this idealized version of Black girlhood and womanhood that could also be harmful, because it's saying that this is beauty, mm-hmm. right? This is what you have to do to be included. So it's a cast-22 you know, the the representation is great, but then you also think, you know, what, what, how is it working? You know, one of the things as a visual scholar that I always say, I, I always say no image should ever be not looked at. So you should always be looking at the images, and all you need to always be thinking is, how is it working? Like, that's the key. It's not to remove it. It's to ask how it's working. And often people don't know how images are working. They are just focusing on what they see. Not on how the images is actually working to get them to think differently, right? So, so that's where it it could be a positive thing, but it really just depends on um, on how it's interpreted.
1: Dr. Cheryl Thompson, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us on Yeah, What She Said, and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer.
0: Okay, thank you. No, it was really a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to Yeah, What She Said on CJSW 90.9 FM. My name is Georgia Jones, and I'm the host of Yeah, What She Said for this month's episode. We've been talking about gender, race, and representation in popular culture. For the next part of the episode, I've invited Adora Noirfor, who's my co-host on Yeah, What She Said, in to chat with me about this.
2: My name is Adora Wolfor. I am an activist, a comedian, and a public speaker in Calgary. I do many other various creative things, but I really like to make sure that social justice is heard loud and clear.
1: So on this episode of Yeah, what she said, the kind of bigger thing that we're talking about is the power of popular culture in our lives. And two questions. How powerful has popular culture been in your life and What are the ways in which representation in popular culture has mattered to you?
2: Ooh, good question. Popular culture for me growing up in, let's call it the 80s, in Calgary was everything. If anybody knows about the 80s, pop culture was it. There was nothing else that was important, so... I put sun in my hair so I could get a blonde streak like Terrence Trent Darby. Yeah, it was orange and fell out. I wanted to be a ballerina. This is my first I love to dance anyways. Uh, but uh, ballet and gymnastics were really big then. And it's all I wanted to do. So I was a gymnast until 12 because by 12, I was five, six, So I was bigger than the uneven bars. Uh, representation, huge, huge. And I didn't even know how important representation was. So all of the people and all the things that I wanted to do were not necessarily for me. So we know that uh, blue eyeshadow, powder blue eyeshadow, that was the thing for the 80s. And some people did not do it well. I was one of them because what I saw and what was available was not appropriate for me uh so you know people would say like black girls don't wear blue but that's nonsense because blue is fabulous for me and if anybody knows me i'm obsessed with blue it's all blue everything um as much as i can if you come to my home you're gonna find blue in anything that you can get blue in uh but we have taste so we add other colors but anyways Um, that being said, I remember trying to get, you know, makeup or clothes or whatever it may be. And I could never look like the person who was in the magazine. Um, I'm also a stylist and a makeup artist. And it's because when I went to start modeling, they couldn't do makeup for me. I always looked ashy and atrocious. Uh, and it was horrific. So I learned to see myself and other people so what i saw in magazines i was like "Mm, i'm gonna create that version for myself and i don't know if everybody has that skill (laughs) let me take that back everybody does not have that skill and that's why representation is important because if everybody cannot imagine something outside of the scope that they see every day where do we go we would never go to the moon we wouldn't be trying to go to mars nobody would have any idea you know how a baby is created or to create different types of art and music and integrate them together how would we be on the radio if nobody ever thought we want to hear this sound somewhere else we want to encapsulate the sound so, if you never see that, what what happens? Those of us who have those dreams are told shh. But many of us aren't quiet about it.
1: What did you think when you saw that Halle Bailey had been cast as Ariel in the Little or live action?
2: When I saw that Halle Bailey was cast, I thought this is a win for my kids. I thought this is what I needed when I was their age. I thought finally people who are talented and hardworking and beautiful and dedicated are getting the opportunities that they deserve. Uh, and then I thought <clears throat> somebody's gonna be mad because there's gonna be a black ginger. Uh, and you. Quite frankly, there's pictures of her as a Black person with red hair and they exist all over the place. So it was not so much for me that I was like, oh, this is taking away something from someone else. I was just like, this is a great casting. She's amazing. Why not? Let's see who else we can cast. Because why does it have to be the same way every time if that's, not you know somebody's factual actual life so the little mermaid is a story that was made up and um in folklore and yes it's nice to have explicitly what was going on but we know that that's not what disney does so take it down a notch people who were mad
1: Last question.
2: Oh, one more. Okay.
1: Okay. But just like, okay, who do you think should play Ursula?
2: I really want to see Titus Burgess do that role. I don't know if you've heard their rendition, but they do a rendition in their one-person show, and it's amazing of poor and unfortunate, souls. it's... I, I was
1: all pro Lizzo and then I saw that and I, I, I and yeah,
2: listen Lizzo forever but Lizzo amazing. whatever you posted that's that's not the one <laughs> if that's the audition it's unfortunate that's not I love Maybe I she love should you do Lizzo mm, no she Titus Burris the is there. That's, that's there that's it's for Titus I
1: always have possessed
2: although lately please don't laugh I
0: use it on behalf of the miserable lonely and
1: depressed but Thanks there to my co-host Adora Norfor and thanks also to Dr. Cheryl Thompson for weighing in on our topic on Yeah What She Said this month. Music in this episode of Yeah What She Said has been motioned by Vortex. You also heard the theme music from The Little Mermaid. Titus Burgess's version of Poor Unfortunate Souls, and you may have also heard a little bit of Milli-, Milli Vanilli, Blame It on the Rain, in there too. As always, you can catch us in all the usual places online. Please reach out and check out our Facebook page on Instagram. Let us know how important popular culture is in your life. I'm Georgia Jones. This is Yeah What She Said on CGSW 90.9 FM. Bye for now. To those poor and fortunate souls